Um, are you the kind of person who lives for today or the kind of person who carefully prepares for what is to come, I wonder? Um, I don't know if you can quite divide the world into two different kinds of people like that. And I'm not even sure that one is necessarily completely better than the other. There are pros and cons, aren't there, to being a kind of in-the-moment sort of person or a kind of cautious preparation sort of person. But when we're, when we're thinking in eternal terms... Um, Christian disciples do need to have an eye on what has been promised in the future if we're going to know how to live wisely in the present. Um, I ask you to think about what this passage tells us about the return of Jesus, uh, which is one of the big themes that he's talking about here. And the heading in our Bibles for this section is watchfulness, isn't it? It, might, it, it could perhaps be something um, a little bit more kind of in your face, you know, keep awake, stay alert, that sort of thing. And if it's, if it's watchfulness, I don't think it's the kind of watchfulness that you get from my cat sometimes, which just sort of stretches out on the windowsill and just kind of watches what is going on. Um, it's more the kind of watchfulness uh, of uh, the, the, the people responsible in the Second World War for monitoring the radar for enemy planes coming across the channel, needing to be focused and prepared, not knowing when the next attack will come or where it will come, but knowing that it will definitely come. Or maybe those Spitfire and Hurricane pilots you know, needing to get on with uh, the things which they need to do every day, grab some sleep, get some food, and yet at the same time be ready just to go at a moment's notice. And in particular, this is a passage about being prepared for the most important event in history that has, that has not happened yet, which is when Jesus returns, which is what he's promised to do. So, are we ready? Are we ready for him to come back? Uh, we've already had quite a lot in chapter 12 uh, over the last few weeks about, about what it looks like to live as a Christian. And we saw um, back near the beginning of the chapter how Christian disciples are those who are prepared to publicly acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And we've seen a bit about how when we follow him, it will change our attitude towards what is most valuable, the things which we treasure the most. And now what we see here is that the thing which needs to shape our lives and how we live them is the, rem the, the, rem the memory, the reminder that Jesus has told us he is coming back. And so we've got this little passage where Jesus tells stories, three little parables in here, and it has several things to teach us. First one, very simply, is just that we do know that Jesus will come. Uh, he goes straight into his first story, doesn't he? And it's a story about a wedding. Be dressed, he says, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Now, weddings in Jesus' day, weddings are always great celebrations, aren't they? But in Jesus' day, they could easily go on for a week, uh, and uh, be lavish affairs. And so the time of someone's return was really quite hard to predict. Servants had to be ready to serve whenever the master left the party and turned up back at home. Jesus is saying, disciples need to be a bit like this. And if you look at the two instructions that Jesus uses here in his parable, keep your lamps burning, of course, no torches that you could just flick on, on your phone or a flashlight or something. They need to be kept burning and be dressed. 
Good advice, isn't it? You don't want to be faffing around with your trousers or fiddling for your torch when suddenly you've got to be on duty. You need to be ready to go. A servant who knows what's good for him needs to be ready to spring into action, even if it starts to seem as though oh, the master's never coming. It's taken such a long time. When Jesus comes, and it's very clear in the New Testament that it is a when, not an if, when he comes, will his disciples be ready? Will he find us carrying on with the things that he's left us to carry on with while he's not here? Or will he find that as time goes on, we just begin to get distracted with our lives, you know, by our work, our families, um, our security, our worries, um, so that we end up just like all the other people who aren't expecting Jesus to come back at all. He is coming. That's the first thing that he reminds us of here. Secondly, we don't know when it's going to be. Again, it sounds fairly obvious having read the passage, doesn't it? But it's worth just noting it. The time is going to be unexpected. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Literally, it's blessed are those servants whose master finds them ready. And then Jesus launches into his second little story, his second mini parable here. Understand this, he says. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Um, you could think it couldn't be clearer than that, wouldn't you, really? I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune to be burgled, whether that's ever happened to anyone here. Um, it's not to me, I'm happy to say. But I do remember a few years ago when it happened to some close friends of ours, and it happened while they were visiting us for the day. And they got home and found that their house had been ransacked while they had been out. Uh, it was a horrible experience. And of course, no surprise to find that the thieves had not texted to say they were coming. They hadn't sent them a little note to say, well, we're going to come around tomorrow and rob your house. Of course they hadn't. Because if they had, there would have been members of the local constabulary waiting for them, ready to greet them and take them away. As Jesus says, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. It's a bit like that with his return. Um, over the centuries, you'll probably be aware of this, with great regularity, there have been confident predictions that the return of Christ must happen on this date or on that date. I had a look on Wikipedia this week, that um, font of all knowledge. There is a I don't know if these are all when people have said, this is when Jesus is going to return, and of course he hasn't. And they begin in the sort of early hundreds AD, and the last one they've got recorded there was last year. The next one is apparently is due for 2024. They're all by definition wrong, aren't they, according to what Jesus says here. Because he says very clearly, no one knows when the master will return. Verse 40, you must be ready because the son of man, that's Jesus, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Not at an hour when you do. What does this mean for us? Well, I think it means, first of all, that we shouldn't waste our time desperately trying to work out when it's going to happen. It will happen when it happens. Jesus has said he's coming soon and that he's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness, as Peter puts it later on in the New Testament. So keep watch, like those Spitfire pilots getting ready to scramble. Keep awake. Don't get lulled off to sleep by the distractions of the world, by money or success or pleasure which can tempt us in 2022, just as they would have done at the time Luke was writing his gospel. 
We know Jesus will come. We don't know when he will come. And then thirdly, if we hadn't been prepared, we might be surprised at how Jesus will come. I wonder if you noticed in verse 37, in the middle of all of that, Jesus says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, now if you couldn't see the end of that verse, I wonder what you'd expect him to say next. Maybe truly I tell you, that servant who is ready will be honoured to serve his master. Truly I tell you, that servant will be well rewarded. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says this, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he, that's the master, will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Hugely surprising, isn't it? This is the parable about the return of the king. What is it that he's going to do when he returns? He's going to put on the servant's clothes. And he is going to serve all those who are waiting in service of him. And this was completely unheard of, the master who comes to serve. But again, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised like this, uh, be surprised by this, because if we know what Jesus did when he first came to earth, well, that's exactly the pattern of it, isn't it? It was the theme of our Jubilee service last week, as we gave thanks to, uh, for the queen who has in many ways followed Jesus' lead in being a, a monarch who's committed her life to service and whose example in many ways points to the service of Jesus the King. And we had that verse last week, didn't we? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And his ultimate act of service was to go to the cross on our behalf. Uh, we read it from Matthew 20. Luke will also record this a bit later on in his Gospel. Um, if you've been around in church circles for a while, you might remember the song that we used to sing. This is our God, the Servant King. That's not just what Jesus did then. It's who he is. He is our King who serves us. And it blows away all those misconceptions that people sometimes have of a God. When people say things like, you know, where is God in a suffering world? Why is he letting me go through this? You know, how, how can... How can God be good when refugees are being flown off to Rwanda? All kinds of terrible things that happen in the world. Sometimes people even say, look, I'm not going to believe in a God who would allow this or that to happen. Where is he? Now, I don't have answers to all of those kinds of questions. We don't know why particular things happen. But we do know that where is God? He is in the thick of it because he is the God who serves, who serves all the way to his own death on the cross. And what Jesus says here is when he returns, he is returning to serve. He is returning to serve all those who will let him. So we might well be surprised at what the return of Jesus looks like. So, finally, how do we live now? What does this mean for us? What difference does it make? Uh, the basic answer is, as you might expect, it's to live wisely with this in mind but in particular, by serving one another. Um, in verse 41, Peter, as he so often does, catches that this is something really important that Jesus is saying. And he, he asks Jesus, doesn't he, who this is aimed at. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? In other words, is this for disciples or is it for the whole crowd of people who were there earlier in the chapter? 
He might mean that, or maybe Peter means, is this for us who are leaders, who you've appointed, or is it for all disciples? It's hard to tell in some ways. But of course, in answer to Peter's question, what does Jesus do? He tells him another story, another parable, and he asks him another question. To keep us thinking, we need to listen carefully. And Jesus starts by noting what a good steward is like. Verse 42, the Lord answered, Who then is that faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. A manager, in some translations a steward like this in in the ancient culture, uh, was a servant himself who was left in charge of household matters while his master goes away on some business or something. Isn't it interesting what his major responsibility is that Jesus says here? It's to look after the other servants' welfare, isn't it? To make sure they get their food, allotting them their food. In other words, it's not to exercise power, it's to serve all the others. And the good manager, the wise manager, Jesus says, is one who does this faithfully. Truly, I tell you, the master will put him in charge of all of his possessions. And so if there's an encouragement to us all as disciples here, what is the encouragement? What is Jesus saying to us? If you want to know how to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he doesn't give us an exhaustive set of rules telling us absolutely everything we've got to do here, but he gives us this principle to live by. Just as we know that Jesus, our servant king, will return, in the meantime, we should get on with serving one another. It's a message for all of us. In this context, it's a message, I think, for it with a particular edge for all of those disciples who exercise a leadership role in Jesus' household, among his people, the church. If you're a church warden, member of the PCC, perhaps, if you're a home group leader, youth leader, whatever it might be, most of all, if you're a minister... If you want to be ready when Jesus returns, the implication here seems to be you need to be faithfully serving my people. That's the test of your faithfulness. What does Jesus want to know of someone who's in leadership in his church? Uh, Not how big is your church, not how successful is your ministry, but have you served my people? Have you cared for them? Have you given them their daily bread, their allotted food, like this servant here? Have you taught them the truth? Of course, daily bread in the Bible is both applicable physically in terms of caring for the physical needs of people, but also as every word which comes from the mouth of God, which disciples need to feed on. So, serve your home group members. Serve the young people. Serve the older people you have responsibility for, the church family. Take whatever gifts you've been given and like Jesus, give all that you can in the service of your brothers and sisters. That's what being faithful looks like. And then, of course, as is so often the case in Jesus' parables, he also adds a warning, and it is quite stark, isn't it? I imagine this probably jumped out at a few people as Brian was reading it a few moments ago. Verse 45, But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect, and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces 
and assign him a place with the unbelievers. In other words, what about a servant or a supposed servant who actually does the opposite of faithfulness? Instead of caring for the other servants, the ones who are in his trust, he abuses them. There's something about fairness here from Jesus, isn't there? That the terrible things that people sometimes get away with, even in the church, yes, he is coming back to deal with those. They won't be left undealt with in the end. And again, I think there's a warning here for all of us as disciples to take seriously the trust that we've been given. But the sharpest edge comes for those who have greater responsibilities in ministry. Um, There have been too many well-publicized cases over the years, haven't there? Especially over recent years of ministers, some of them with very successful ministries, but who have then been found to have been bullying members of their congregations, members of their staff teams, or maybe sleeping with members of their congregations, uh, or accumulating personal wealth out of their ministry, uh, or abusing those who they've been given the care of. Um, You've probably read about some of these. And the warning from Jesus is stark, isn't it? He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Um, Jesus uses graphic language um, because I imagine he wants people to sit up and take notice and think, whoa, this is serious, Jesus, isn't it? He's talking about people who completely reject what he's given them to do. And in fact, the New Testament is full of warnings about uh, leaders who behave like this and who cause destruction and harm to God's temple, to the people who Jesus loves. He sometimes calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. But Jesus is the shepherd who loves his sheep, whose sheep know his voice, and it really matters to him. Um, There's also a warning less severe but still serious in verse 48 for the ones who are unfaithful because they don't know. Um, Perhaps um, ones who, uh, within the church, it's less that they're being deliberately bullying or abusive or something, just being ignorant and careless with what they've been given. And I guess there's there's a striking parallel here as well with what's gone before. You know, this little column of Luke 12 we're looking at today is part of a a longer chapter, a longer section. And you might well think back to the fool we looked at back in verses 13 to 21. Do you remember him, the guy who said, what I'm going to do is build bigger barns to keep all my wealth in, and then I can eat, drink, and be merry until God says to him, you fool. Well, now here in verse 45, we've got a servant who's all about enjoying himself and getting drunk and taking it out on others. And it's no surprise that Jesus once again effectively says, don't be a fool, be wise. I'm going to return. In the meantime, be ready and serve one another. So what does that mean for us all now? Well, here are three things in conclusion. Um, Be informed, first of all. 2,000 years seems like a long time. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And people think, well, how long is that going to be? Uh, it's easy to start to think he's not coming, or at least he's not coming soon. But don't worry. Be informed. He hasn't forgotten. He's doing exactly what he promised. The New Testament has much more to say about this. His patience is much greater than ours. Jesus will return. He will return to set it all right and to gather his people. You can depend on it. Be informed. Secondly, be prepared. It's true, isn't it? We don't know when he's going to come. We don't know whether it will be this week or whether it will be in our lifetimes on earth. 
His timing is perfect. And as Jesus said elsewhere, it's not for you to know the times and occasions that are set by my Father's own authority. But the key thing is to keep watch. Don't fall asleep. Be ready. And so finally, be informed, be prepared. What does it look like to do that? Well, it's, well, it's either be faithful or be serving, this third one. In other words, let's live our lives now with one eye, always on the eternal future, because that's what a wise manager does here in Jesus' parables. And as we saw last week, or two weeks ago when we were looking at this, uh, the call is to invest your treasure in a heavenly account which is far more secure than gold, far more secure than any currency that we can think of, even more secure than oil as prices go through the roof, but they will come down again one day. And how do we do this? By taking whatever we've been given now and using it to serve one another, Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters, to provide for the disciples in our care. Let's pray.